Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Shane Kowalski, founder and CEO of Mystery, a Seattle-based end-to-end employee engagement platform that's on a mission to boost workplace morale and create empowered teams through shared experiences. While Mystery launched in 2018, starting as a date planning service of sorts, and since pivoting to a platform dedicated to creating corporate culture building employee experiences, Shane's path has included stops at businesses such as Porch and Convoy, and he brings a ton of firsthand knowledge on the impact of the shared moments and the opportunities that they can have on corporate culture and employee experience. We brought Shane on today to take a closer look at what he's seeing driving employee engagement in 2022 and beyond, and the remote era's impact on corporate culture. Shane, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We're excited to have you. And uh, before we jump into really talking about employee engagement and what you're seeing with Mystery and just the overall impact on corporate culture, I'd love to share more about you with our audience, get you introduced. So can you start off just telling us a bit more about yourself, take us through your background and what led you to launching Mystery in 2018? Yeah, 100%. Um, a little bit about me. I uh, grew up in Seattle area, um, went to school for computer science. I had worked at a couple different startups uh, before starting Mystery, uh, like you mentioned, one being Porch, which is a marketplace for home services, uh, one being Convoy, which is, uh, I think, about like Uber for freight is, an, is a poor description of what it was. Okay. Um, I got to see at, at Convoy what it looked like to go from like very, very early, like 10 people all the way through to a couple thousand people, you know, a company that had no product, no customers, nothing. We were shipping our own sandbags from uh, two facilities that we rented out all the way through to being a, a multi-billion dollar business and reducing a lot of waste in the freight industry. I think, you know, originally starting Mystery came from a couple different things. Um, realistically, like, it, it, you know, I had heard the this framework uh, first presented to me back in 2017, maybe 2018, uh, which was the concept of missionaries versus mercenaries. Uh, and uh, the, it was brought to me by a guy named Simon Rothman, who's like this renowned marketplace theorist. Uh, but he gave me the, this concept of missionaries are people that work on something. And just the sheer fact that I get to wake up every day and work on this category of thing in this space or solve this problem is what like gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what brings me and get like provides f- fulfillment in my life. Uh, whereas missionaries just like solve, or uh, whereas mercenaries, excuse me, just like solving problems. And like I get out of bed because man, this is a tough problem, and I like solving it. It's really interesting. Uh, and the frame that he used uh, was uh, of the happiest people in the world. 95% of them are missionaries, not mercenaries. Interesting. And I looked at myself uh, working in trucking and thought, you know, I don't really care too much about trucking. This might be a problem. Um, so I spent a bunch of time, you know, thinking about what's a problem that, you know, I could wake up and like just knowing that I as a human had an impact on this part of the world would make me happy. Um, what, what's something that I could be really mission aligned with? And the frame that we originally started Mystery with was fairly basic. It was this idea that technology at large uh, in the industry has done a pretty poor job of making people happy. Uh, whether it's forever feeds and TikTok that addicts us to uh, you know marketplaces that aren't really aligned with their supply in the long run, and I'll dig into that a little bit more. 
um, to even just thinking about how many people work in the tech industry to eventually never have to use technology. Um, and so I, I wanted to find a way that we could you know, use technology to make people happier at a very basic sense. Um, and when, we, when you're starting a business, you know, it's obviously fairly important to have some type of unique insights about how that works. And the one that we had uh, was, you know, at that point, I, I had worked at two large marketplace businesses, uh, Porch, Porch and Convoy. And uh, these are businesses where there's supply and demand. eBay is like a pure marketplace, as an example. Uh, Amazon and their resellers is a huge example of a massive marketplace. Okay. Well, the funny thing about the tech industry is that these marketplaces start off really, really beautiful. Uh, it's there's perfect alignment between supply and demand. You think about like Uber when they first started, it was like, oh my God, the gig economy, flexible work. If you have a car, you can make money. This is incredible. This is amazing. Or like DoorDash was like, we're digitizing the small restaurant. Like this is amazing. Brand new revenue streams. Right. It's utopia. They start that way, but they end in self-driving cars. They end in ghost kitchens for DoorDash. Fundamentally, the job to be done for technology uh, isn't to you know, empower that small business, uh, but rather to automate and eliminate it entirely. Um, and for me, I, I grew up in small business. Both my folks ran small businesses. Both my grandparents did. Uh, I just kind of hated the idea that like, my favorite business model, that being marketplaces, was destroying my favorite sector of the economy. Um, and that's what we originally set out to do, build a business that made people happier, that was fundamentally better aligned with the suppliers that we wanted to work with. That's great. And what's really at the core there is finding that passion, right? You found something that you were passionate about. That's so much of the response we often get. Introducing guests coming from the HR space, usually I'll ask, what got you into HR? What got you into people operation? And it's that passion for people. And what you really were doing with Mystery at launch was using technology to create those people experiences, right? Where technology can almost eliminate people at so many levels and put us behind screens. You're using technology to create those people experiences, initially being a, a date planning service, but then transitioning to what's now become the current strategy and approach for Mystery, creating these corporate culture building experiences. So what was that moment that really had you guys pivot from the initial plan of Mystery to then seeing, hey, there's an opportunity to create these larger corporate and employee-based opportunities. What really led you to that pivot? Yeah, 100%. Well, in the beginning, you know, uh, date planning is uh, definitely how most people describe it. So I, I won't give you any, any, uh, any shakedown for saying it that way. Uh, we weren't actually matching people to each other and saying go on a date. It was more like a date night you didn't have to plan. Creating the opportunity, creating the experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Creating the experience. So you, you'd tell us what you like and don't like. We'd plan, book, and execute a date night out in the city where you wouldn't know where you were going until you got there. Uh, hence the word mystery. That, and it was aligned because we could effectively make sure that the suppliers that we were using were adequately using their time. You know, everyone probably knows that restaurants are a difficult businesses to run. So the idea of load balancing at a very basic sense, making sure the right businesses had the right amount of demand at the right time was a really interesting concept. Um, you know, we, we did thousands and thousands of those in Seattle uh, and had plans to expand with that business in, in a huge, huge way. Um, obviously, COVID had different plans for us. Um, and, uh, you know, we went through some pivots in between. One was uh, this business that we called Mystery Night In that was, you know, instead of a date night out, uh, you didn't have to plan it was a date night in. Right. And that was really oriented around saving all the small businesses that we had worked with at the time. We had over 150 small businesses that depended on us every day. Uh, so we needed to bring them some kind of revenue when everything else shut down in the world. But we transitioned to working on employee experiences really for, for a few reasons. Uh, we had been doing that night in business and we had sent, 
God, thousands, thousands and thousands of these date, night, date nights in, which provided a real meaningful impact to the small businesses we worked with and gave people who are stuck at home in the pandemic something to do, uh, which was potentially good. Um, but, you know, you don't run a startup because, uh, you know, especially a venture backed startup, because you want to have a small impact on the world. You want to see, you know, how can you go very, very quickly? And the, you know, the amazing thing about venture capital is it lets you you know, break the bounds of what's possible in just a few couple of years, uh, you can really shoot for the moon. And, and what we found was if we continued this night in business, it wasn't a venture scale business. It wasn't something that we were going to have a really huge dent in the universe with. Um, and so we did a lot of hard thinking. You know, we had learned a lot over that over the past uh, you know couple of years when we had started those two businesses, primarily around what it takes to, you know, productize and scale a really incredible experience. Like, what does it mean to have like an experience that just blows your mind? You're like, oh my God, this is incredible. Right. Um, and what does it mean to really connect and bond on an experience? Um, you know, we had a lot of value props in the first product that we did. Everything from, you know, yeah, it's nice not to have to plan your date night and it's nice to find somewhere new. But the single threaded one that we heard through almost every experience that we did was something along the lines of like, wow, we've been married for 30 years, but this felt like a first date again. Or man, like this is the first date night I've been on in months that my husband hasn't looked at his phone the entire time. That's great. Something about a net new experience that both people were partaking in that brought them together in a way that was really, really unique and was, was really the magic behind that experience in the first place. Uh, well, this is like June 2020. We were, you know, in the pandemic for you know three, four months at this point. It was right when people started understanding and seeing, you know. This pandemic thing isn't going to be a couple months. <laughs> like we're going to be in this thing for a while. You know, in the beginning, it was like, no way this thing will be here by summer. But by June, it was like, uh, I think this is going to be a little bit. Yeah, the end date kept getting pushed. Absolutely. And what that opened up was a trend that was going to happen anyways. Uh, and I and I want to talk about this a bunch more. But distributed and remote work was going to happen anyways. It was a transition that was going to be a lot slower. But that forced adoption and almost like resetting the habits of so many people, what we started seeing early on in the pandemic was the best companies, the ones that uh, like Stripe, the ones that are growing like the fastest and the best quality cultures, things like that, were hiring remotely faster than ever. They were hiring people in different states that they didn't plan on relocating at any point. And we thought, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things that are not figured out in remote work, like a ton. Uh, but the genie is out of the bottle as soon as you hire a bunch of people that you're not going to relocate. So you're going to have to make that work. Um, and, you know, large transformational shifts like that only happen every so often. Uh, and so for us, we looked at, you know, the rise of distributed work. We looked at the future that we believed in and saw uh, and just realized that, you know, when we left the office, the biggest thing missing was connection. The biggest thing missing was, you know, the relationships that we have with our coworkers, our managers, and our leaders. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of the early inputs that would later turn into the great resignation and is now being reframed as quiet quitting. Uh, really, the root cause problems are typically relational. Uh, it's not, I want to work remote and you won't let me. It's not better pay. It's, I'm lonely. Uh, and, you know, the communities that I used to go to, whether it be in schools or religious institutions, are falling out of style. And I need somewhere to get that feeling of community and work's not giving it to me. Um, so that, that was kind of the, the impetus and problems that we saw of where 
where we could try and you know really make a dent in the universe and solve this problem. Um, distributed work has the potential to be you know, categorically such a much such an incredible improvement of life. It is pure arbitrage in the, mo in the most pure sense. It's time and value arbitrage. You're getting to spend more time with the people that you love most, your family, your friends, people that you spend the most time around. Um, and you know, people think about this as like some brand new concept. The Romans were distributed work, right? Like it's actually really most of the past like century that you know, in-office culture has become a big thing. And I think there's so much to talk about when it comes to remote work. But one of the easiest frames to think about is, you know, to think about the office not as a place where people meet and, you know, go and work, but think about the office as a piece of workplace technology. What does it do? Uh, and you need to start unpacking that and realizing, you know, as our work has moved online, which for, you know, the majority of knowledge workers in the world is the case. What did the office do? Well, it gave you a place where theoretically you were more productive way back when we first started using offices. Right. For engineers, I, I think you're going to find most folks that have heads down work would not say an, opus, an open office concept was you know, useful to their productivity. Uh, communication, you know, yeah, it's certainly a lot easier to look over, look over at a desk and yell at somebody and say hi. But we have Slack. We have Teams. Um, monitoring, unfortunately or fortunately, that was a really big feature for managers to understand, hey, people are coming in and actually doing work. Um, and certainly there's some questions around how that will work in the distributed area around spying. And there's a huge trend there. Uh, collaboration, you know, yes, in my mind, you know, the office is better because you have your five senses. You have sight, sense, smell. You can see people. There's so many, so much of communication happens in our body language uh, that is really hard to collaborate effectively. Anyone that's spent time around a digital whiteboard knows the challenges here. But for specialty professions, collaboration has already happened digitally. There's not a designer in the world that doesn't design in Figma uh, along, along or Adobe, and they've all ad adopted, you know, they call it multiplayer mode. Right. Um, employee benefits, certainly you, you saw lunches and things like that in the office. Those are starting to shift remote too. But the last one and, and the one that we saw nobody had really made any groundwork on was connection. You know, the, the office did provide you with like a steady drip of connections over time. It sounds cheesy, but that water cooler interaction really was important. Um, and the more that we understand about what the office as a technology did for connection, uh, the more that we can understand, you know, what are the first principles of, that matter from a connection perspective yeah. and how do you build those digitally or in some mix of, you know, digital and in-person. Long spiel, but uh, apologies. But it's great. You gave us a, a lot to dig into there. So it's really smart and interesting to make that pivot and see that opportunity. Again, you go from the dating culture, which has kind of a limit to now the working world where it's limitless. And everyone was going through it at that moment too, of adjusting to remote work and feeling that across their teams, whether you were a business leader or an employee, feeling that change in corporate culture. But then going through that and seeing as we've come out of it, and we talk about this so much within HR Daily Advisor and in the HR Works podcast, is that move toward a distributed workforce. And what does that mean? And what does hybrid work mean? It's so different throughout so many teams. And we're all still trying to figure out and get our hands around what that is and what the advantages could be to being in office or in person. What you're creating here with mystery and aiming to solve is that missing factor, that piece, that person-to-person -person engagement that you only feel when you're sharing experience, when you're together with your team members. It's not completely lost for these teams. You can be remote. You can be fully distributed, but still create those opportunities. So I think it's really interesting, really exciting to see where we're at there. But 
let's start here. We've talked there. Obviously, there's so much of a shift and so much has changed. What's the state of employee engagement right now? What does employee engagement look like in 2022? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, we, we look at this data across a huge amount of customers uh, that we work with, everyone from the largest businesses in the world, like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, uh, big tech to big services, KPMG, Goldman Sachs, uh, all the way down to Girl Scout troops uh, and small right. businesses all across all across the states. Uh, so we have a lot of inputs here. I'd say there's a few generalizations that I'll make. The, the big difference uh, in engagement that you've seen with most companies before they start trying to really tackle this problem um, is, you know, it, it, the easiest way to think about it is imagine uh, for any given company and any given employee, what connections should that person have? Uh, and there's decades of organizational science and research that would effectively tell you that that person should have five connections. Uh, they should have intra-team cohesion. The, the people that they work with most often, they should have some level of connection to them. They should have a manager connection. That's the single most important one when it comes to retention. Uh, people don't quit their jobs. They quit their managers. A very common phrase yep. that I'm sure people on the, listening to this podcast have heard many times. But there's three others that really matter. There's cross-team cohesion, the team that you work with most often. There's connection to leadership, uh, and that's where in a single singular employee really aligns to the mission of the company is their trust in leadership. And then there's finding a best friend at work, or the industry today uses a term called sense of belonging, uh, which can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, at Mystery, we look at you know discrete, meaningful connections, so connections where I feel like I have a, a meaningful relationship with that person. Yeah. It's becoming you know almost that research has kind of come back front and center over the past six months about having a best friend. Well, what you see in an in office culture compared to a you know forcefully distributed culture, and that, that's what I'd say most most companies find themselves in today. There's plenty of intentionally distributed companies that are doing really, really well, and, and I'm happy to talk about that in just a minute. But what you see with these forced, forced distributed companies is on average, you still have intra-team connection you, uh, as an employee. You still know the people you spend all day talking to. Pfft, shocker, no way, of course you still have intra-team connection you still have manager connection because you're still talking with your manager all the time. In some cases, you actually get much more intentional and active communication. In a lot of our customer base, we see manager connections actually far better, especially for people who weren't as outgoing, uh, where like a remote stance actually gives them the chance to be more themselves. The other three, and that's leadership connection, cross-team connection, and finding a best friend, have fallen off a cliff for the vast majority of people. So. All I, you hear silos, you hear people saying they're isolated. The biggest forms is I'm not building deep and meaningful relationships. I'm not uh, outside of my intra team. I'm not finding a team that I collaborate with. I'm finding all sorts of issues with them because I don't get to know them personally and there's no common shared interest. Right, it becomes more transactional. Exactly, it's all transactional. Uh, and then leadership connection, you know, I've lost faith in leadership because I don't know them. Uh, I, you know, only understand the perspective of, you know, the, the almost the worst possible outcome versus assuming some version of good intentionality, uh, which is so often the case in, in leadership. Um, so I, I think on average, that's what you're going to see for most companies. You know, like I mentioned, you're going to see people that feel isolated. You're going to see folks that feel like work is becoming more transactional. And, and you know, I'll, I'll point out there's certainly a biased point of view that I have here, um, which is, you know, if you talk to folks in the distributed work you know, space and generally like the advocates for it, you'll find two schools of thought. You'll find the school of thought that is, okay, works transactional. Well, it should be. 
you know, we don't work for our lives. We work to get money and like we live our lives outside of work. And like, why would it matter to be happy at work? Like we should just get there, get the job done. And like there's people that think async work in every possible way is the future. Uh, I happen to sit squarely oppositionally to, to that belief. Uh, we spend a third of our lives working. If we're not going to be happy at work, like, man, that sure sounds like a pretty sad life because the other third of life we spend sleeping. So we're looking at literally more than half of our waking hours being spent working. The idea that we're not happy doing it seems fairly ridiculous to me. Um, but, you know, again, it is a biased point of view in some way. Well, you're carrying your email and your phone everywhere you go, right? It, it's attached to your hip. Yeah. An access point to work. So to say that you can almost shut off work for a select few probably can, uh, but for so many of us, I mean, the access, the touch points and the blending of work life and personal life, it's such a gray space that it's very hard to say that you can only kind of separate it and have it be fully transactional. 100%. And then I think the only other thing I'd say, the state of employee engagement, to go back to your original question, a couple more points, which is I think you're seeing a massive transformation. Uh, and like more change in the people and employee engagement and generally I'd say the people space than you've ever seen ever, <laughs> right? Because, you know, what was, you know, before still a killer, but a silent killer, you know, people would leave companies because they felt disconnected. People would leave companies because they're mad. They didn't have the right learning and development opportunities. They didn't have the right wellness, a whole suite of reasons why people weren't happy at work and sure those existed, but they were almost silent killers before, you know, stuff that we didn't really know why yet? Because it wasn't a big enough problem. Well, those have all turned to active killers, right? The, the reason companies are failing is because the people that work for them are unhappy. Um, so as that change has happened, I think you're seeing an industry that, you know, largely was basically workflow automation tools, meaning like surveys right, before, right. Uh, move through and try and jump you know, decades of technology that's happened in product orgs, it's happened in sales orgs, it's happened in marketing orgs, it's happened, you know, virtually in almost every other company. You, you, the, one of the funniest things is like, uh, when I first started this business, I, I can't tell you how many people were like, don't sell, don't sell into HR. They don't have any budget. Uh, and if you do sell to them, like, you know, if you go to an HR conference, one of my favorite things is someone talks about the CFO and the whole crowd moans. It's like, oh, cause like the CFO has never been able to determine ROI. Uh, in a really accurate way, that's changing, right? Uh, the the phrase in early two thousand, early twenty twenty was like continuous listening, which is this idea that we'd move from, you know, biannual surveys to oh boy, we'll know monthly. Those surveys still aren't good, right? Like sense of belonging is a question that is, you know, I think the verbiage in most of these surveys is like I I feel like I can take risks at work, and if I answer a five on a one to five scale, that means I have a high sense of belonging. Knowing the problem is is not even half the battle, but even that, like measuring that output to employees that you know don't want to self admit that they're isolated because of fear fear of being fired. There was so much technology that had never been applied to this category. So I think you're also seeing just a massive change in you know the general persona being a much more data driven, but b much more supported. Uh, you know, I, I think folks listening to this podcast probably feel some level of like, wow. I used to like sit and have to bite tooth and nail for every single thing I did to now being like looked at and saying, well, what do you need? What more can I give you? Uh, and they kind of have this control and power in, in a world where they never did before. Um, so I, I think you're going to see just an immense amount of innovation, uh, even throughout the past couple of years, but continuously with, within the next couple. Yeah. Such a common thread that 
I've seen in so many conversations with HR leaders over the last year has been that understanding of really listening and being empathetic to your employees and that there's so much in that, right? Just to listen and hear where your employees are at, not just take a survey, but talk to them, listen and understand where your team is at, where your engagement's at too. And that's a great way to tell the state of your personal engagement, your team's engagement in 2022. And it's been really interesting to see how HR leaders have come to the forefront of their organizations more so now than ever. Moving to remote work for so many who are in office, the HR leaders of their team were helping navigate that. And now bringing teams back for so many that are going back to hybrid distribution or fully remote distribution, their HR team is right front and center and helping to navigate that. So there's so much involvement with your HR leaders and so much impact. I mean, it's a great time to be in HR, as I say to so many of the guests that we have on, because you're right at the forefront of where the business is going, where the organization is going, where your people are going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And you see all these like seismic shift and large waves coming all together all at once. You know, I think it's hard always to be you know, aware of the big changes because you see them you know, iteration by iteration, month by month, week by week. Yeah. Uh, but people forget that like commonly accepted knowledge doesn't start that way. Right. And like, uh, even if you look at, you know, I'd say the 2000s to 2010s, you know, where, where the idea of being customer obsessed or focusing on the customer was like, made made like, oh yeah, of course that's what you should do. That wasn't common. <laughs> like almost no company or business in the world thought, hey, I should focus on my customer and think about the customer experience, not the technology first. Well, now it's like, oh, of course you should do that. Right. Well, then you look at like the first chief people officers, which happened in the late 2000s. Uh, now this concept of being people first, of thinking like, hey, you know, the seismic shift, transformational waves of, you know, younger generations wanting to find meaning and being more mission aligned to needing more community as some of the, like I mentioned, some of these other institutions where I didn't get them. Uh, now you need to replace that with work in some way. All of those are kind of colliding all together to create this, you know, what I think will be a decade of, you know, looking back and saying, well, of course, you should think about the people that work for you. Of course, your employee experience is one of the most important things to a company's success. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's always hard to see, like, you know, how many grains of sand does it does it take to build a hill of sand? When does it become a hill and it's not a grain of sand? Well, I, I think we're nearing a place where people first is just an obvious, like, yes, of course it is, uh, and that wasn't the case even two three years ago. Right, your baseline has just gone up. Be customer obsessed, of course. Put your people first, absolutely. Then what? Yeah, totally. Right. So what does successful employee engagement now look like in this modern era? I think previously in the, let's call it the in-office culture, you could walk around, you could get a sense of people being really invested and leaning in to your organization's mission, to your, to your common goals. What's that look like now that we're in a very distributed workforce? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think success looks like a lot of things and it can change based on the company. Uh, you know, add that caveat. Um, but what I would say that the higher level stuff that I think about Number one is it's not just continuously listening, uh, but it's being proactive, not reactive to changes in reports. You know, no longer are we going to wait until, you know, I get my employee engagement report six months from now to say, oh, okay, we need to start making some changes because, you know, a month in the changes have been made. Uh, you know, I often think an analogy that we use on the team is one of, you know, the people function needs to you know go from using an old school map uh, like hey like I think I know where the mountains are but I'm gonna go on this street and like hopefully you know if you remember using the early map software it was like hey if you pass this building that's blue take a left it wouldn't change and you know you get it once every six months and you try and do something 
to more like whys or, or ways, excuse me, which is like, hey, we're going to take in all these data inputs and proactively and dynamically change our strategy based off of what people are saying, what we're seeing. Um, you know, no longer it's, is, are we living in a world of like, oh man, it's been a while. I think we should do something for morale. <laughs> Instead, it's like, okay, what can we do? How do we, like, who's currently on the edge? Who's like our lower performing? How do we think about building social safety? How do we think about building these deep and dynamic relationships and getting ahead of the curve? Um, you know, investing for ROI versus just fun, yeah. I think is going to be a big theme that you see. Um, and more than anything, I'd just say like intentionality with an outcomes focus. Uh, you know, I think so often the biggest mistakes that I see uh, and like from a logic perspective that companies are making is like, oh, okay, connection is bad. Well, okay, let's get everyone to the office and like the office is where people connect. And so like, let's, let's start with the office and then think, when in reality, the goal is connection. And yes, the office is very likely an amazing tool to build that connection, but you need to start with the outcomes first versus starting with like, a, oh, I th I've heard that solution work. Let me throw money against a wall and hope, hopefully it gets there. Um, I, I find that the companies that are doing the absolute best are A, predict, uh, proactive in their engagement strategies, B, consistent. Uh, and they think about building their engagement, building their people strategy, much like a product team thinks about building their product. You know, there's something called getting to product market fit, which is, you know, building and iterating quickly, testing and learning, testing and learning. There are remote first cultures, there's distributed cultures that are thinking about their culture and their engagement in the exact same way, which is not a point in time and like, hey, this is who we are and this is everything we'll ever be, but rather let's iterate, let's continue to push the envelope, let's see what you know, something along the lines of culture market fit could look like. And how do we continually see and learn how do we shape this thing to be the best possible culture, the best possible engagement that we can have. And the only way you get there is continuous improvement, is iteration. There's no silver bullet. People think the office might be a silver bullet and they're finding, oh, turns out coming into the office a couple of days a week isn't actually moving my employee engagement metrics. Well, maybe it's because you need to rethink your outcomes first. So like I mentioned, I think it comes down to being consistent, iterative approach and just thinking about the outcomes first and testing and experimenting to be able to get there. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's really a good approach for so many teams as they are looking for driving their employee engagement. And I like that you looked at it to say it's not something that's hard set. It can be fluid. That should be something you're always looking to evolve and develop and take new chances at, at creating that engagement because it's not something that you can say with a magic bullet yep, here's, here's employee engagement, we fixed it. And it's not something necessarily that lives on a checklist to say, well, we've engaged with our employees for the month, we're good. Like it's it's got to be something that is constant and evolving. With that, what are some of the red flags for teams when they're struggling? What tells you, hey, maybe our engagement's off here and we need to really be more intentional with our team and put some new things into practice? Yeah, I think the, the signs that we look towards are like cultures that you can tell there's a, a lack of trust within the organization. Um, oftentimes we see companies that have poor engagement will have many issues of, you know, there's like, like a, a really hyper specific example might be you have an all hands and there's like a dedicated person that everybody pings to ask the difficult question because they're not willing to share that question themselves. But like, you know, we all reach out to this person and this person will stand up to leadership and ask that hard question. It's almost like you've already lost, right? There's no trust within that organization to start. Um, but, but I think there, there's all sorts of small telltale signs 
Um, you know, it's, it's in the level of clarity that you're seeing in exit interviews of people actually saying what they feel. Um, you know, the, the acid test that we, that we see often is do employees feel like caring is a detriment to themselves at the company? Meaning like, uh, I can't keep working here because I either have to not care or I need to, or I need to work somebody else and I can't work here and not care. Right. It's yeah. those are the the obvious examples where like something is broken, but so, so often I think it's in the smaller ends. You know, you see this big theme around quiet yeah, quitting yeah. today. Those are people that would quit if they felt like they could, right? Uh, and like the, a good example of another end of like where you think people have lost. Um, other signs that you see are like there, there's a big report that Microsoft just came out with that. Is, I can't remember the exact stats, but it's something along the lines of like 10% of managers think their employees are productive, but only, but 87% of employees think they're productive. Like, first of all, like what? <laughs> like, how is that so dramatically different? Uh, how does a manager or leader have such a low level of trust or understanding of what the employees are going through to, to be able to even get to that point in the first place? Right. Um, I, I think, you know, why we start thinking about connection, why we think, you know, and maybe this is a bit uh, of, a, of an intense thing to say, you know, we call ourselves an employee engagement product today at Mystery. Realistically, we're just a connection product. Uh, I think most employee engagement metrics are truly just a measure of your connection with those around you. Um, so everything that we say internally, we, we don't call ourselves an employee engagement company. We call ourselves an employee connection company. Um, when you see the early signals that we're looking for are, you know, has interaction with this employee and the broader community around them dwindled to a full stop. Uh, and those are fairly easy signs. We're measuring the inputs, not the outputs. We're not asking for a survey once a month or once a quarter. And certainly we do do surveys to add into our data set, but we're more looking at, hey, is this person accepting calendar invites? Is this person showing up to meetings? Is this person you know, meeting people outside of just their intra-team? Are they showing that they care enough to participate in the company culture and not, you know, not opt out, but rather opt in? Uh, and I think all of those are important signals to be able to track. Yeah, it becomes fairly obvious when someone's disengaged. Totally. Even more so in the remote era, I'd say, when so much is built on being intentional, whether it's being in meetings or responding to conversations through your communication apps, you can pretty quickly see when someone is pretty much pulled back and yeah, that can certainly be a good red flag for organizations to step in and say, hey, maybe there's an opportunity here to step in and really try to bring some engagement, bring some culture back into into your team. Yeah. Absolutely necessary. So Shane, one thing that I'm really interested in, so many of us have common goals in a workforce. We're working toward a shared mission statement or a shared value or a just shared goal of success. So there's a lot that we have in common. What is it about that shared personal moment, right? That those opportunities, those experiences that really plays into corporate culture and really helps bring engagement to the forefront. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we use a, a fairly basic concept, which was, you know, when we started thinking about building a connection company, we spent a lot of time thinking about how does connection even happen in the first place? You know, how do you feel cohesion as a person? Right. Uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of organizational studies. There's a lot of research that's gone into this. Um, and certainly, I'm simplifying a construct here, but let me add one for you, which is the idea that you bond through similarity, familiarity, and vulnerability, uh, which are all fancy terms. So I'll make it really easy. Um, effectively, you know, any single person, your connection with them 
is a question of how much do you have in common with them? And if you're at a company, you at bare minimum, like you said, have a similarity that you care about the mission of this business. Uh, or maybe you just, you care about providing for your family and that's why you're there. You care about getting paid. But more often than not, you're seeing mission alignment matter, right? So that's something that you have in common right when you start off. We likely have a lot in common already. We likely have a lot of similarity, but cohesion happens when you convert similarity into familiarity, meaning we learn that about each other. And the more that we learn, the more that we uncover about each other, the more cohesion that we'll feel. And the concept of vulnerability is this idea that the more niche that thing is, like a good example, if we both find out we like cooking, we're going to be like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, maybe we could exchange recipes or we'll end up in a Slack channel about cooking. It'll mean something. Right. But if we found out we love cooking and maybe, I don't know, Mario Lopez, which is a really random example. But like, imagine we both love Mario Lopez. Not a lot of people like that guy. I don't know if a lot of people do, but not a lot of people like it. It's like, wow, okay, that's weird. And then we found out we all love distributed systems. And it's like, oh my God, now we're like really hitting it off. And the more niche something is, the the fewer times that I get to share a part of me that is similar with somebody else and convert it to familiarity, the more that is something special to me. Vulnerability is the same concept. It's the idea that I don't often share this piece with you. Um, and maybe it's you know growing up with a single parent uh, and I find out somebody else did that and like, wow, I don't meet a lot of people. I can't you know talk about our you know, collective shared experience because shared experience can be you know past, present, future. Uh, you know, cohesion is about hey, wow, I can lament and we can talk about an experience that we both went through. Maybe we weren't even together for it. I can you know, live in the present and like we can experience something together and that can be really fun. Right. Or you know, I can feel connected based on the fact that I think we both have very aligned goals in the future. At a really basic sense, shared experiences are content that helps to convert similarity to familiarity. Um, and what we find, and if there's something I would love for you know, effectively everyone listening to this podcast to take away, it's that most people have more in common than they have not in common. Uh, so often I hear from customers that are like, well, like, man, the older people at my company and the younger people don't have anything in common. And so they're never going to get along or like politics in the office has become like a really, really big issue. The reality is like, yeah, you know, we're finding all sorts of reasons to hate each other and to be disconnected. But man, when you look at the data, when you just purely look at like, what do people have in common versus not in common? It's a stretch of a truth to say that you can't find commonality, you can't find common ground with people. Um, and cohesion, connection, like I mentioned, is about converting that similarity into familiarity. And when you can do that in a way that's organic, in a way that you're learning together, that's when magic of connection really happens. Yeah, it's a, a personal experience really creates yeah. some, again, added bonds, some added cohesion. And let, let me add one point, which is just to, to really drive the point home that you, you're more connected with people than you think. Um, now, everyone uh, listening to this probably has had a best friend at some point in their life. Uh, that's probably an obvious statement. Think about how, where you built that best friend. Often it was in maybe elementary school, middle school, high school, college, church, a religious institution, or at work. Well, those are all in subsets of fewer than 100 people. There weren't a lot of, and you found a best friend. You found the person that you wanted to spend the majority of your life just with a few hundred people. At any given company, if you're saying, oh, well, employees are never gonna find a best friend at work, completely false. There is somebody at every company that could be your best friend. You just haven't had the right circumstance to meet them. Uh, and if you had that, you could build a very deep and meaningful relationship. 
that stat alone just tends to blow my mind that people think like you couldn't find connection. It's like, no, you found connections in like very small subsets of people. Yep. It's the difference of like finding a soulmate or there's probably a million people in the world that like could you could end up very happy with. It's more likely than not true that, you know, you have more in common with the people around you than, than less. That's a great outlook. I love that, Shane. So what are those organizations who have done well? And give us some examples or just what you've seen or just what's really helped them succeed in this move to a remote era. I think so many companies look at it and say, hey, maybe we've struggled with our corporate culture or had to realign our corporate culture. But who are the ones that have done it well in this move to a remote era? Yeah. And what are they doing that's different? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a bunch of concepts and, and things here, but I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing and one thing only, which is they've made the implicit explicit was just to say that there's a lot of things that companies do, a lot of ways that people connect at work. There's a lot of ways that you build employee engagement. Uh, I'll give an example. You know, there's something as basic as, hey, like in the first few minutes of meetings, people tend to, you know, talk and meet each other. We talked about your background a little bit. On, on almost every meeting, you're going to meet, meet someone. Well, then that is a little bit at odds with like, oh, well, like, you know, we start a meeting. People should be at the meeting on time. There should be a set agenda. You should get everything done. But in a world where that's, you know, I don't know, well, should we rush into work or should we actually spend the time to get to know each other? An example of like what you can do to be really excellent, the companies that really do well are creating, you know, effectively a term is norms around how that works. So like at Mystery, we have a norm, which is meetings start when everybody has arrived or three minutes in. So that everybody knows that if not everyone has arrived to the meeting, in the first three minutes, then like you don't need to feel bad about, oh, we haven't driven and hard driving. Like the rule is that is social time. If not everyone's there, like let's use the time to connect with each other. Let's be intentional. Let's make the implicit explicit, whatever as a people leader you think is important. If it's not written down, if it's not systematized, if it's not mechanized throughout the entire company, it won't happen. Uh, So you just need to think about anything that you're doing you know, it's, it's one of those things that early career folks often say like, oh, like, I don't understand why values matter. Once you start a company, once you're working in a people function, you realize like values are the only thing I have because it's explicit. It's something that everybody is agreeing to and saying, if I join this company, I am agreeing to these values and I'm constantly being measured. Well, there's a lot of other things that happen at work that you can make explicit. It doesn't have to all just be this implicit thing of like, oh, here's how we kind of act. Um, that's like the highest level thing that I'd say the best companies are doing really, really well. And if you look at even the companies that weren't forced remote, uh, the companies that chose to be remote before the pandemic, you'll see an aggressive amount of intentionality behind how they operate as a company. Um, and, and I think that level of intentionality is very important, um, but it can often be seen as like this daunting thing. And it's not something you need. You don't need to go from you know no intentionality to like, Every second, this is a rule book that everybody follows. It can start by just creating a couple norms that you know generally might be agreed upon at the company. Um, but I think it's important to put a stake in the ground and to be implicit about it. Yeah, and that's what's unique to the organization, right? That's what will set them apart. That's great for recruiting as well. That's something that teams can own as they're looking for new talent to say, here's what sets us apart. Here's what we're doing that increases engagement, that really creates our unique culture. I love that you mentioned the opening three minutes of a meeting, if not everyone's shown up. There's your water cooler right there. You may not have a physical water cooler to catch up, but that's your opportunity to check in and say, hey, how was your weekend? Do anything fun? How was the concert last night? Did you watch the game? Like, There's just great opportunities 
to have that more personal connection casually within your normal meeting day. So yeah, you may have meetings set on your calendar and the water cooler conversation doesn't exist anymore like it did in 2019, but it does. It's there. You just have to have that culturally accepted within your group. Yep. That works. It cuts through. It does. Yeah. And, it, and what I'd say is like the idea that you can have good employee engagement or remote culture is just statistically wrong. Uh, you know, right. we, we see it the best, you know, it's an even mix, but if you look at the best employee engagement, the companies with the far and away the best engagement, the office is not a variable that matters at the top levels. Certainly it's one where like, if you look at a trend line of the worst performing to the best performing, you're going to see people that have a strong in office generally in some way have higher employee engagement, but it's, you know, a trend line that is almost uh, correlation is not causation meaning the implicit, the intentionality is a much more important variable than, oh, we all come into the office. Absolutely. So Shane, you're leading a team with mystery and we've all learned so much over the last two years, but I really love learning what team leaders, people leaders have learned. What's something you've learned about yourself that's made you a better leader for your team at mystery over the last two years? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. I I think the biggest thing for me uh, would be I think so often you come into discussions, you come into meetings, you come into decisions and you have a point of view. Um, But I've made a habit out of seeking to understand first in every case Uh, and trying to say like, you know, maybe I have a point of view about what the best situation is or even what's best for a singular employee or, you know, X, Y, or Z. But before going into that, understanding, you know, what are the risks, like having empathy doesn't just mean, you know, I... I'm thinking about what they want, but it means like asking and saying like, hey, do I, you know, adjusting my needle on like, how well do I actually understand what their anchor is, what they really care about in this situation, what they want. Uh, Empathy can be as basic as like, hey, help me understand and not having an ego about it. You know, I think one of the phrases I use so often is like, I'm going to say like, I might be totally wrong. Like, and I often am. But here's what I think you're saying. And I'll, and I'll say it and I know it's wrong and I'll, I'll open up the opportunity for them to feel willing to share back to me. Um, and I think that level of you know, backward compatible communication uh, has been so incredibly valuable to me because you know, it, no single person is going to be right. You know, the cumulative sum of intelligence is always better. You, as a leader, you do need to make decisions and you need to be able to say, this is where we're going. But I found the you know, data collection that I get when I come with an extremely low ego, when I come with an idea that like, hey, I'm probably wrong. Uh, I want to understand your point of view and not just assume it. Uh, I think is the single biggest thing that's been a, a big impact for me as a leader. And I think especially as a, as a younger leader, you know, this is I've, I've had roles where I've led teams before, but, but certainly not one as big as our current team, which is about 70 folks today and growing very quickly. Um, and I think seeking to understand before going into a problem is probably the biggest lever that I've seen as an impact. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And a lot of leaders are seeing that, that opportunity to be vulnerable too. They've taken advantage of that in the last two years and saying, yeah, here's, here's what we know. Here's what I don't know. And accepting that and being honest with your workforce, it's appreciated and felt all the way down to the newest employee. Oh man. Yeah. I think that, that, what, that theme of vulnerability or just being yourself, you know, I, I think, decades of in-office culture led us to like think that uh you know you had to bring the most professional version of yourself to work right distributed work feels like you're just bringing yourself to work yeah there's less of a persona 
Exactly. And you can actually be yourself. Uh, and maybe it's because you're surrounded by your own four walls instead of office walls. Uh, but so often, I think that level is super, super important. I think becoming, you know, increasingly a strategic advantage for leaders that are able to use it. That's great. So that's some great advice we can share with our audience. But I love to also learn about what's what's really been a piece of advice you've leaned on in your career that you can also share with our audience, something you can pay it forward with. So do you have like a, a nugget, something that um, you picked up along the way that you go back to and you're like, yep, yeah, that's that's something that's helped you immensely as you continue to grow? Yeah, a, a bunch that come to mind immediately. And you've dropped some um, good ones in the conversation. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll touch on a few that I think are really important. Um, making the implicit explicit wherever you can. Man, I think you'll find what you... There's the what you know you know, what you know you don't know, what you don't know you know, and what you don't know you don't know. The easiest way to close the gaps on all of those things are making the implicit, explicit, what you believe, say it. Because man, so often you think people understand things that you that you don't and like the, the context just isn't there and your judgment of other people's context is wrong. Uh, so often. Maybe it, you can get better at it, but if you're assuming other someone else's context, I, I'd encourage you to make the implicit explicit wherever you can. Um, you don't want to you don't want to leave the intentionality of your actions to perspective. Uh, you want to make that cut and dry and obvious. Uh, th that one I think is is an important one. Uh, and then just I, I'd say having ingrained empathy. It's actually one of our company values, but. It's like I mentioned before, it's not just assuming context, not assuming you have the empathy for how this works or, or you know, going to a customer, using it in a customer example, it's not doing what they say they want, but it's really going deeper and understanding like, is what they say they want what they need? Uh, and, you know, as a people leader thinking about how do I, you know, how do I bring or make my employee experience as amazing as possible? People might be saying, well, hey, like, I'm really unhappy. I, uh, maybe I hate my manager, but maybe I, I don't have, uh, I, I want to work from home and you won't let me understand the root cause in having empathy is understanding, not just what they're saying, but what they need, uh, putting yourselves in their shoes to say like, Hey, if I put myself in their shoes and I have the context that I have, which very likely is higher than whatever context they might have, what more would I uncover? What are some really systematic problems? And the more you can get into the root root cause of things uh, through a lens of empathy, I think the better. So I, I spent a lot of time trying to understand the people around me. And um, yeah, I, I'd say that's, that's a big one that I've, I've definitely learned and something I pass along. Those are awesome. Those are great takeaways. Yeah. Thank you for that, Shane. So again, we're here with Shane Kowalski, founder and CEO of Mystery. Shane, before we wrap up, do you have anything you'd like to plug for our audience? Anything you want to share? Something you're excited about going on with Mystery? And certainly give us a place where if you want to learn more, we can reach you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Mystery, like I mentioned, is a connection company. If you've done virtual events for your teams uh, and they haven't been Mystery events, I would challenge you to uh, look at your expectations of what you think a good virtual event can be because, oh man, the ones from the early 2020s and 2021 were awful. Uh, and they can be so much better. Uh, we have a stat at Mystery that's 95% uh, of employees actually want to join the next employee team event. Uh, our attendance rate for events is all the way close to 90% uh, compared to the industry average of 50. So if you're looking at a way to bring the team together in a way that people are actually excited to join, uh, definitely go to Mystery. Um, and we help you understand the connections at your company. We measure all these inputs. We, we look at who knows who and who should know who. 
uh, and help you build a really tactical plan that says, hey, if I'm trying to build sense of belonging, if I want to build leadership connection, how do you think about a set of activities and whether that's virtual events or you're thinking about new hire integration or you're thinking about even just like how do you set your Slack policy? The data that we're giving people and arming them with can help you effectively do what you're already doing, but make slight adjustments because, man, it's in those small adjustments to what you're already doing that all the ROI happens. A, a virtual event can do nothing or it can have a massive impact. Uh, and it's all about understanding your employees, understanding the data surrounding it uh, and how to take that action. Um, so if you want to be a more people, uh, data-informed people leader, uh, if you want to really understand connections at work, uh, go to trymystery.com. Uh, I'd love to, love to chat with anyone and everyone. That's great. So just to give our listeners some examples of some of these events, what are some of the, the events, the engagement opportunities that you guys have created at Mystery? Maybe even some of your favorites that you've seen. Yeah, man, uh, we have over 150 different experiences, everything from freestyle rappers to even tier one talent like Kevin Hart and otherwise. Um, but uh, one of my favorite ones that we just did recently, we had a leader that just joined a team uh, and the people, uh, the people officer of the team, you know, was lamenting that like we have this new leader joining, he's running a massive team. I want to make sure that it gets integrated really, really effectively. And that leader loved spicy food. Like that was the thing that that leader really, really liked. Uh, so we used the data that we had and the understanding of, you know, what similarity data we had across the org to understand for that leader, you know, there were 15 people in their massive org of close to 400 that also really loved food culture, but also spicy food specifically. Okay. Um, and so we did an event where the, uh, those 15 people in his org did a hot sauce making class. Uh, where everyone made hot sauce at home with his instructor. And it was a really fun experience. And like your spice level was actually matched to the level of pepper that got delivered to you. It was really, really fun. Oh, that's um, cool. But at the end, that leader did kind of a hot one style interview where they got interviewed by a comedian uh, while eating spicy peppers and were like crying, laughing, getting through it. Right. Um, and it sounds ridiculous, but like it's a modern day dunk take. Give that leader a chance to be vulnerable with a group of people that he hadn't even built social safety with. Uh, and you see this leader go from like, you know, brand new and not having deep connections to now building a ton of trust within the org. Uh, and, and it's just like, you do that in a way where people are actually engaged. Everyone that went to that event was super excited to be in that event, not just to meet the leader, but to connect over something that they all loved. Um, that's just one example of one of the more recent ones that I really liked. That's great and really creative. So yeah, anyone listening again, who's really interested in checking out an event with mystery, go to trymystery.com. Uh, but look, Shane, before we wrap up here, I do like to ask this question of everyone before we wrap. And I think you actually teased it at the start. But when you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor. What's the one thing that really gets you motivated to start your day? Yeah, uh, it's always been and will always be pushing people to be happier. Uh, today, that means it. being happier at work. Perfect. Well, look, Shane Kowalski, founder and CEO of Mystery. Thank you so much for joining the HR Works podcast, having a great conversation too about employee engagement and the impact on corporate culture that we've seen through the remote era and where we're going in the future. Shane, thanks for the conversation and hope we can pick this up again soon. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. All right, thanks, Shane. Thank you for listening to the HR Works podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible. 